Good morning. Are you guys awake? You think so, huh? Uh, I want you to take your Bibles. Please turn to 2 Timothy. Let's pick up where we left, left off last week. What a blessing it is to be in this place. We've, we have already went through phase one, I guess we can say this morning, as we opened up and we, we walked together with a group of people that were here in the, in the early service. It is good to be back, to see you, to see your faces, and to be able to talk about God's Word um, we talked about last week um, a little bit about an introduction to, to 2 Timothy and, and where we were at. Um, I don't know if you remember that Paul is in prison again. This time, though, he's not up under house arrest as he was the first time. The first time that Paul was under house arrest, people could come and go, but this is a little bit different. We talked about that last week, that now Paul finds himself in a dungeon in what was called the Mamertine prison down in a cell um, a cold, dark cell, knowing that he was awaiting death. Um, and it was during that time that Paul would write to Timothy, uh, not a biological son, but a son in the faith, a young man that he had invested his life in, that it had encouraged and walked alongside of him in the faith. And it was there in that prison cell that Paul would write this second letter that that he, um, for two specific reasons that we know of, we believe that he wrote, number one, he wanted to see Timothy before his time was up. We do know that because a little bit later, you'll find out in the, in the weeks ahead where, where Paul specifically instructs him to bring some things to him. But second of all, I can imagine Paul, knowing that death is near, writing to Timothy, wanting to pass the baton of faith to this young man knowing that his time on earth was short, but, but saying to Timothy, Timothy, look, here's some things that I want to tell you that I want you to understand because I want you to pick up that which I'm getting ready to leave behind to you. I want you to pick up that baton that I'm going to give to you and I want you to continue to carry faith into the next generation. And so what we know is that by description, Timothy was a young man. We know that because if you remember in the first letter, Timothy or Paul told Timothy, listen, don't let anybody look down on you because of your youthfulness, because of your young age, but set an example is what he told him. So we know that Timothy was a young man. We also know that he was a faithful young man, yet he was very timid and shy. And because of his personality, probably because of his youthfulness, here is Paul knowing that Timothy needs to be encouraged. How many of you guys need to be encouraged in your faith from time to time? Every one of us do. And if you haven't been at that place, I promise you, you will be. But here's Paul writing to him to encourage Timothy, but not only to encourage Timothy, but also to encourage us. And so to this point, we have seen Paul encouraging Timothy, and today is not going to be any different as we begin there in verse 8 where we left off last week. So if you'd read along with me and listen, let me say this. I, I, I know that we get used to electronic devices and that kind of stuff, and I mean, there's some creative things we can do as we read the Scripture but I'm going to tell you, I love a copy of God's Word. I love the written Word. I, be, I love being able to hold it in my hands. I love being able to underline things. I understand. I, I'm, I'm with technology. Um, these guys always tease me. Man, why don't you bring up a, a, a what are that device? It's called an iPad. Yeah, they always... I said, man, that thing may go out. I don't want it going out on me. I want to be able to have it in my hands. And so, um, but I love a copy of God's word because I can just, I can do all kinds of things and I can hold it in my hand. But I want you to read with me today if you have a copy. Man, please bring a copy 
um, something, even if it's that electronic device so that you can read, read along with us. But this is what Paul has to say to his protege, his mentee in the faith, reading there beginning in chapter 1, verse 8 in 2 Timothy. And he starts out, verse 8, by saying, so, and that's a good word to underline, circle. You want to do that because I'll come back and talk about it. So, Paul tells Timothy, never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in where? In prison. He's in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. In other words, Paul says, look, in light of everything that's going on, in light of what I just told you, if you remember, going back to verse 7, what did he say? He told Timothy, look, don't carry around you. God didn't give you that spirit of fear and timidity, but he gave you a, power, a, a, a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. And Paul's encouragement here was, we find out in light of everything that's going on, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed is what he tells him up front. So in light of what's taking place, Timothy, this is what I want to say. Don't be ashamed, but be ashamed of what? The message of Christ. Look at what he says. He told him, he said, do not be ashamed. Be not ashamed to tell others about our Lord don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed to tell other people about what Jesus has done in your life. Now, how many of you have ever been afraid or fearful or timid about sharing your testimony of what Christ has done in your life? Don't answer me. Just sit on that for a second. Have you ever been in a place that, that you were fearful or afraid? I mean, it's easy for us to sit in an environment like this and talk about our faith you know, Matt, for us to be able to talk about our faith in Jesus when we're around our Christian friends and we're sitting in a Bible study and talk about Jesus. I mean, that's normal, right? But what happens when you're outside? What, what happens when you're outside the, the safety zone of the church or your Christian friends? What about when it comes to the workplace? What happens when it comes to the ball fields? What happens when it comes to the home setting? I mean, how many of us struggle to engage people in conversations about Jesus Christ? I was sharing the story this morning about Brian Williams and Brian, I don't know how, I had to figure out something, B&B &B or something that we announced you got. I, I was with Brian Broom and Brian Williams, we were having lunch one day, and I guess, I guess we were just having a really good time, probably making fun of each other and, you know, picking at each other, but there was a couple that was sitting not far away from us, and um, at the end, they, this guy got up and he comes over to the table and he stands and he says, I like you guys. And I thought, I'm, I'm going to have a good time with this one. And so uh, Brian says, well, I sort of like us too. And I said, well, tell me what you like about us. And he said, I, I like it because I know that you guys like Jesus. And I said, Jesus, you know, and Brian said, don't you do that. Brian Williams said that. Don't you do that. Don't you play with him and make him feel like you don't know who Jesus is. We know who Jesus is. And yes, we love Jesus. And I said, I was just playing. He goes, I know, but you can't treat people like that. <laughs> How many times are we afraid or fearful to engage people in conversations with Christ? And if you ever, what is it that keeps you from sharing that testimony? I mean, what is it that would keep you from sharing the most important message? What is that? I mean, how many times do we have the privilege of talking to other people about Jesus and about what he's done in our lives, but yet we struggle to do that? Better yet, how many times do we intentionally make opportunities, take the opportunity to talk to others about Christ and engage them in those conversations? 
Or are we just fearful and timid or afraid? Just think back to the last week. I mean, how many conversations have you missed out on? I mean, Mike, thinking about this last week as you're going from place to place doing the work that you do. I mean, how often do we miss out on conversations for whatever the reason may be? And we pass up because of fear or lack of concern. And what Paul is telling Timothy is so, so relevant, even for us today. I mean, here it was because Paul is writing to Timothy amidst the chaos of what was taking place. I mean, for goodness sakes, people, here's Paul in prison awaiting death for his faith in Christ. And yet Paul is saying, don't be ashamed of the message of Christ. I mean, we heard last week and talked a little bit about Nero. Nero came into office. He came into that place of leadership. He was adopted by his great uncle Claudius, who was eventually, they say, poisoned in history. We don't really know. But he came to office. He came to that position of authority when he was 16 years old. In history, historians tell us that Nero was a piece of work. I mean, anybody or anything that threatened him, he got rid of them, including his wife, his mother his stepbrother and other family members, just to name a few. And then in 64 AD, he not only, he wanted to enlarge his palace, but there was no room down, downtown. And so what he did is he set downtown Rome on fire. And as a result of that, to cover his own tracks, what he did was he blamed it on the Christians. As a result, there was tremendous persecution that set out across that area. There were many, many believers that lost their lives, many believers that were beaten and fed to dogs. There were many believers that were nailed to crosses. There were those that were hung and they were set on fire. Persecution. And it was in the midst of this that Paul tells Timothy, I mean, forget, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Are you kidding me? Come on now. I mean, for, for Timothy to hold on to be a follower of Christ, it was like signing your own death warrant. Think about that. A little bit later, take and turn over with me to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me read to you just a little bit later what the situation, what it seemed like, what it felt like, and what Paul told Timothy was happening. Look at what he said here. In chapter 3, verse 1, he said, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there's going to be difficult times. And we, Man, is it difficult times? It's not really, but some people think it is. In difficult times for people will, be, will love not only themselves and their, and their money, they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents. Be careful, kids. Be careful. And he goes on to say, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. And they will betray their friends they will be reckless. They will be puffed up with pride. They will love pleasure rather than God, and they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Does that sort of sound like today? Yeah, last days. I mean, same thing that Paul was talking to Timothy about that was taking place in these last days, that we're in the last days, the last days before Jesus returns. And he said, look, be careful and watch out. It was in Mark chapter 8 where Jesus would say, if you're ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you before my Father when he returns with his holy, holy angels. And Paul, so Paul says, so never be ashamed to tell others about the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. Don't be ashamed of the message. Also, don't be ashamed of the messenger. You can write that down. 
Don't be ashamed of the messenger of Christ. Paul didn't say that he was, in a, he was a prisoner in Rome because of Rome. He didn't say that he was a prisoner because of Caesar, but he said, I'm in prison for who? For him, for Jesus. The thought was it that, that Rome just didn't put him there. It wasn't Caesar that put him there. It wasn't Nero that put him there, but it was God that put him there because God always has a purpose and a plan. And Paul would say in, in, in there in verse 8, continued with the strength that God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Write this down. Don't be ashamed of the suffering that comes from being associated with Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the suffering that comes from being associated with Jesus. And Paul is telling Timothy, look, don't be ashamed of the suffering as you walk alongside of me because you will walk through suffering. Don't be afraid, but be ready because you're going to experience you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, we, we've talked about this early. We've talked this, about this multiple times. I think early on in my faith, I thought I believed it wasn't true because I don't find this in Scripture. But I thought early on that if I did what was right and I tried to do what was right, I wouldn't face any times of difficulty. How many of you have thought that? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you face difficulty and you face difficult times and you're like going, well, God, where are you? But we were never promised those types of, that type of situation. Not the truth. Jesus himself said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And if you walk with Jesus long enough and if, you, if you're on that journey of faith long enough, I promise you, you will face heartache and you will face pain and you will face suffering. There were tears on the journey. Jesus, when he was talking with his disciples about his death and crucifixion, would tell them, look, guys, on this earth, I want you to know that there are going to be tears and there are going to be sorrow and there are going to be trials. But don't, don't lose heart because I've overcome it. I've overcome it. You know, it reminds me of the, the story I had heard about the, the captain of the, the ship and they were out with his sailors and they were headed someplace and a storm came upon him, them and they were afraid and the captain hollered out, does anybody know how to pray? Does anybody know how to pray? And this one voice hollers back, hey, I, captain, I do. Start praying. Start praying. The rest of us are going to put on life preservers and you, we're missing one and, and so you Pray. Those trials will come. They exist. And Paul looks at Timothy and he says, as he writes to him, don't be surprised or caught off guard by the suffering, but expect it. See, Timothy, if you're, if you're choosing to walk alongside of me, what I, which I want you to do, I want you to hold on. I want, you to, I want you to hold on to the gospel. I want you to understand that you're going to suffer. Have you ever considered the fact that in this life that you will suffer for the sake of the gospel? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that maybe you, you may have friends that walk away from you because you choose to live for Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that there will be difficult times, that there may be those that, that make fun of you, or that there, there may be those that choose to sit at a different table at lunch, students, when, when you choose to pray because they don't want to be, they don't want to be with you? But instead of being ashamed of suffering, instead of rebelling against suffering, Paul would tell Timothy, I want you to embrace it as a co-laborer for the sake 
of the gospel. And look at what he goes on to write in verse 9. He says, for God, for God saved us and he called us to live a holy life. And he did this not because we deserved it, but because it was whose plan? His plan. His plan before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And what we find here is Paul giving Timothy some reasons why we don't have to be ashamed. You can write this one down. God saves us by his grace. He said, for God saved us. Have you been saved? Do you know Jesus? Well, saved from what? From the past, from our penalty of sin. The Bible says that all of us are sinners. <laughs> you probably know some of those, don't you? You ever looked in the mirror? You're one of them. You're looking at one right now as you, as you look at me. The Bible says that all of us are sinners and all of us fall short. And the wages of that sin is, is what? It's death and separation from a holy God. But the Bible teaches us that God justified us through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, when he gave his life there on Calvary that said that he became the sacrificial lamb once and for all, that he paid the penalty of our sins and declared us righteous. Turn over to Romans chapter five, if you would. And I want to show you a passage of scripture. And I'm going to read to you, I believe, I think I have this in the, in the NIV. I want to read this today, but the NLT uh, you, if you got it, but I just want to read to you what Paul had to say in the book of Romans there in Romans chapter five, verse one, he said this, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, remember what faith is forsaking all I choose to trust him forsaking all I trust him. That's what faith is. We're saved by God's grace through faith. He said, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord has done for us. How many of you remember that old hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin is left a crimson stain. He washed us white as snow. He saved us from the past, the penalty of sin. We have been justified, but not only from the past, but we're being saved by the power, the power of sin. From the power of sin, he says what we call sanctification, being sanctified. I mean, I'm being set apart for the, for the work of a holy God. Who I am now dead to sin and alive in Christ. Flip over just a chapter in Romans chapter 6, verse, verse 10. And let me read to you there, verse 10 and 11, what Paul had to say. He says, when he died, talking about Jesus, he, Jesus, died once to break the power of, power of sin. But now he lives. Listen, Jesus did not stay in the grave, people. He was resurrected from the grave. And it says here that he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider to yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We're being saved from the power of sin in us. We have the ability to grow into Christ's likeness, not by our own strength, not by our own power, but the power of the Holy Spirit that resides within us. Paul said, any man in Christ is a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. We say this all the time. No Jesus, you know change. No Jesus, there is no change. There is no difference. There is no way that you can stay the same and know Jesus. If you know Jesus, the Bible teaches us that there's power over sin. 
And listen, if you're the same person as you were before you confessed and said, I believe something's wrong, you better go back and check yourself. Say, check yourself. Check yourself. Man, you not need to look at somebody next to you and say, you better check yourself. I had a friend used to always say that. We better check ourselves. What a day of rejoicing that will be, the old song says. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll shout the victory. Why? Because eventually in the, in the future, we will have power over the presence of sin. So not only the penalty, the power, but also the presence of sins, what we call glorification. When one day we'll stand before Jesus face to face and there will be no more sin. It's something that God has reserved for his saints in that eternal state. Instead of mortals that are suffering with this burden of sin that we live in today, we will be changed into holy immortals with unhindered access to our Heavenly Father's presence. This is what Paul had to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I love this. But let me reveal this to you, a wonderful secret. We will not all die. But we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, the twinkling of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, when the trumpet sounds, and those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are all living will also be transformed, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies. Verse 54, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For the sin is the sting that results in death. The law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying to Timothy, don't be Ashamed. Power over the penalty of sin. We have been justified. Power and freedom from the power of sin. We have been sanctified and are being sanctified. And one day, power over the presence of sin. Glorification in heaven with our heavenly Father. We have been saved by God's grace. And look at what he says secondly there. We are also not, don't have to be ashamed because it is God who calls us. Now, that word calls is a Greek word, this kaleo, which means that God invites. He calls us by name. And he calls us by name. Hey, Melvin. Hey, David. Hey, Eugene. Hey, Kyle. He calls us by name to trust him. And it's in that moment that we recognize our sin and recognize our need for Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever heard that call? Have you responded to that call? Do you look back and remember on your life when you sensed the Holy Spirit at work? Do you remember that time when all of a sudden you became aware of God's presence? Do you remember the time when all of a sudden you became aware of your sin and the depravity of your sin and the seriousness of your sin and you recognized your need for Christ? An invitation from the Holy Spirit to acknowledge and confess that Jesus 
is Lord. And look at what Paul said there in verse 9. Look at what he says. He did this. He did this. What is it he did? He saved us by his grace. And he called us by name. From And he says, not because we deserved it, but because this was his plan. Whose plan? Whose plan? Let me help you out. Whose plan? God's plan. Whose plan? It was God's plan from the beginning of time. See, if you're a follower of Christ today, you're not a follower of Christ but all because all of a sudden you became enlightened. Not all of a sudden because you made a decision that you were going to follow Jesus. But let me tell you what. It was the Holy Spirit that spoke to you and called you by name. Hey, Bo, follow me. Trust me. Seek after me. Our salvation doesn't come because we earn it or deserve it. It didn't come up just because we made our mind up that one day we were going to choose to follow Christ, but it was the Holy Spirit that was at work. This is what Jesus had to say in John 6, that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. You know, if you reject Christ, which many have, you have nobody else to blame but yourself. I mean, a lot of times people, you know, will point to, well, you know, it was because of my mom and dad and the way they treated me. Or, you know, I, I remember having a relationship with this pastor or, or I saw this on TV and these people were supposed to be Christians. And I mean, there are a lot of excuses that we give. But if we were choose to reject Christ when he calls us by name, it's nobody else's fault except for, for us. None but us. It was a scripture that teaches us, though, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if there were some of you here today that have rejected Christ up until this point. Some that maybe are watching online that to this point in your life, you've, you've kept God at a distance and you've chosen to reject Christ for whatever the reason. And you can refuse. But it's on you. It's on you. God chose us not only before we were born, but before, we were, before the heavens and earth were ever created. We don't need to be ashamed. God saves us by His grace. He calls us by name. Not because we're good enough, not because we deserve it. And look at what He says there at the end of verse 9. To show us His grace through Jesus Christ. Remember what grace is, giving us something that we don't deserve. God's riches at Christ's expense. Paul goes on to say there in verse 10, And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus our Savior. He broke the power of death. Write this down, Jesus defeated death. Jesus has defeated death. We don't have to be ashamed. Jesus disarmed death. In eternity past, God chose us by his grace and purpose. And now he says this, and now he has made all of this plain, all of it plain to us by his appearing, the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. That word appearing is where we get the word epiphany. The epiphany means to the appearance, the tangible, visible evidence of. And normally we associate this with the second coming of Jesus. But here we know based on the context of what Paul is saying, he's talking about Jesus in the flesh, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, the incarnation of Christ. And Jesus appeared in the flesh and look at what he said, why? 
He came to break the power of death and illuminate the way of life and immortality through the good news. See, that's what Jesus did. Look at how he lived his life. Look at what, the way he ended up losing his life. Look at the power of the resurrection, the good news that we have. See, the Bible teaches us that Jesus not only died on a cross, that he was buried in a tomb, but he was resurrected on the third day. Think about that. The third day he arose from the grave. And when Jesus came out of the grave, he had an immortal body. He could be touched. He could be seen. He bore the scars, but he was immortal. The stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out of the tomb. The stone was rolled away so that we could get in to recognize that he was not there. Amen? Let me say that again. Amen? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And as a follower of Christ, death no longer is a problem. It's not something that we have to overcome, but it's a blessing for those that are followers of Christ. Because the scripture teaches us to be absent from the body is to be present with the what? With the Lord. You know, how many times in our Christian faith is... Does death cause us this sense of tension? I didn't say there wasn't pain. And I didn't say there wasn't time of sorrow in the flesh. But why do we mourn as if we have no hope? We have a hope. We have a hope. And even though we may be separated from those that we love, and even though as, as believers, there's pain and there's hurt, there's emotional stress. But the scripture teaches us that we have hope because they're with Jesus. And in the midst of all the heartache and all the pain, we have the hope of the resurrection. And Jesus broke the power of death. He took away the sting of death. Write this down. Jesus illuminates the way and gives us eternal life through the good news. It was Jesus in the conversation with Mary and Martha when Jesus said, those who believe in me will live even after dying. Have you, have you ever been fearful of the unknowns? How many of us have been fearful? I mean, if you take a child or even us as adults, I mean, there are things that we're fearful of because we've never done them before or we're afraid. We don't know what the outcome may be. Are you with me? And so you may have a little kid conversation. No, you do it. No, no, you do it. No, you do it. No, you do it. And when you do it, then I'll do it. Jesus has been there. And he has overcome it. I, I remember in student ministry, one time I took these kids to do this trust exercise out in, at this place. And why I did some of the things that I did, I have no earthly idea. First of all, I don't like heights, okay? And this time we were, we were doing heights, and so there was this pole. It was called the pamper pole. I'll never forget that. That'll be etched in my mind till the day I take my last breath. And this pole was this, this telephone pole that stood up. And I don't know if you've ever looked at a telephone pole, but it starts out big and it gets smaller. And at the top, it's usually pretty small. And what, the, what you had to do is you had to crawl up that pamper pole, Alan, and you, you had to stand on top. And I remember the conversation, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm, and so what do you think I have to do? I have to set the lead. All right, guys, I'll do it. <laughs> Listen, if I can do it, then y'all can do it. <sighs> wow, I did some of the things I did. I have no earthly idea. 
They hooked me into a harness, you know, and I, I did my climb. I, yes, I climbed up the pole to the top of the pole. I stood up on that little bitty thing with them holding me in, and there were two or three people holding on to, the, to this wire, this, this belay they had me on, and I'm supposed to jump, <laughs> just supposed to jump, and they're supposed to catch me, you know, and they're supposed to hold me and then lower me down. All I can say, there were two or three people that got a ride that day when I jumped. <laughs> <laughs> I would die if I were to do that these days. Anyway, we don't, we don't have to be fearful of death. I mean, Jesus has entered into the unknown and he was resurrected from the grave and we don't have to be afraid. And then Paul finishes up in verse 11 and 12 by saying, so we've talked about Paul said, listen, don't be ashamed. He gave us some reasons why we shouldn't be ashamed. And then, then Paul comes back to say, I want you to know that I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed at all. Don't be ashamed. Look at what he says in verse 11. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the good news. And he says, because of that work as a preacher and as an apostle, as a teacher of the gospel, he goes on to say in verse 12, that is why I'm suffering here in prison. But then what does he say? But I'm not ashamed. Even though as a pastor, even though as a teacher, even though as an apostle, and even though I'm in chains and even though I'm suffering, I'm not ashamed. Then why is he not ashamed? Look at what he says. For I know the one whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Paul says, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted to him until him against that day. Paul didn't talk about what he believed, but he talked about in whom he believed. Paul was talking about a person. You know, I, I wonder these days how many people know the Bible and how many people know the word, but they don't know the one for whom the word was written. I mean, how many people go through religious activities, but they don't know Jesus. That activity doesn't save us people. Only Jesus does. And Paul said, in the midst of what I am and who I am and what God has created me to be, and even though I'm here in prison suffering, he said, I am not ashamed, not because of what I know, but because of who I, who I know. And you know, when we know him, there is a sense of peace in the midst of the storm. I was with somebody not long ago, and um, it was it was a really it was a very difficult time. It's a very difficult time because this man was near death, and this man had lived a very very hard life, a very hard life. When I mean hard, I mean hard. A hard life didn't really rejected God, didn't want anything to do with God. And here he was in the last moments of his life. And he was crying out and there was a sense of unrest and there was a sense of anxiety and there was a sense of just angst that was going on as he cried out, Oh! Oh! 
And I had talked to the family members about death and the fact that it was close. And nobody wanted to talk about it. And they said that nobody has really wanted to engage that conversation. And I knew why. Because there's no hope for that person who doesn't believe, is there? No hope at all. And some of the family members had, had cleared out of the room at that point in time. And, and I was left with one family member there. And I had made my mind up, regardless of where they were in this journey and where, where we were and, and, and the coherence. I, I believed that this person was in was coherent, even though they were in this, this stage of, of the end of life. And I, I got up and I, I went over and I said, and I called out his name, and I said, I, I, I want you to know that God loves you. And I want you to know that the Bible tells us that if we call out to him and we confess our sin, that the Bible says that he's quick to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us. And I said, did you know that God loves you? And even today, would you like to cry out to him? Would you like to call out and not reject God, but claim him, confess your sin? Even today, you can do that. And here in those edging moments of his life, this man cried out in a voice, Oh God! Oh God! Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. And yet how many times do we reject over and over? And my, my greatest pain at that moment was not having the family there to be a part of that because there was a sense of peace that came. A sense of peace that was ushered into that room in the midst of those last moments of that man's life. You know, to the believer, the words that we read the words of Paul as he writes to Timothy, the words of encouragement to us to not be ashamed. To not be ashamed of the message, to not be ashamed of the messenger. You know, to, to not be ashamed for suffering for the gospel. He tells us why, why we shouldn't, why we, reasons why we shouldn't be ashamed. And here Paul tells us that I'm not ashamed. But these words are encouragement to us, but they're to the person who doesn't know Christ. They are a warning. Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? Is, have, you, have you responded to the time that he called you by name? Can you go back to a time in your life when you believe that Jesus called you by name and you said yes? Would you pray with me today? Father, in our time that we gather here today, we are truly blessed to be able to read your word and to read into the storyline of what Paul had to say as he wrote to Timothy back 2,000 years ago. But these words that we read are much more. They're much more than just words that are written down. These words are life. And just the words that Paul wrote to Timothy, they're still applicable to us today, so applicable. And the question that I have for those of us that are believers in this room with every head bowed, listen, do you find yourself at moments and times being ashamed? 
Do you find your time in time? Do you find your life at moments and times being ashamed of the gospel that you so, so boldly profess when you're with believers? My encouragement with you that you would not be fearful in those moments that you, to, that you have the opportunity to engage people with the gospel message. I pray that you would, you would understand and go back and recount your testimony and the things that God has done and you be willingly, willingly ready, intentionally engaging people in the conversations with Christ because this is what I will tell you. There are multitudes of people around us that want to hear Multitudes of people around us that want to know. Even today, it wouldn't surprise me if the Holy Spirit brought somebody to your mind, a name of somebody that you need to engage because you know that they're suffering. You know that they're hurting. Jesus is waiting on you. Would you, would you be willing to engage them sometime this week or when that opportunity presents itself? But there may be others here either listening to me in this room or, or um, electronically where you recognize that you've never responded to this point. You've rejected Christ. But this morning you hear the Holy Spirit saying to you, I'm calling your name. I'm calling your name. Even this morning, would you be willing to pray right there where you are in the silence of your own home or in a vehicle that's maybe driving down a road or even in this room to cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to give you my life. I recognize right now that I'm a sinner. I believe what the Bible teaches, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And you have that ability right now to receive Jesus where you are. Call out to him. Admit your sin. Believe that Jesus died on the cross and commit to live for him right now. I'd like to be able to pray with you. Father, that... In the midst of our time, we are very mindful that, God, that, that as believers, that we have the ability to do a better job as being um, your witness. I pray that you would encourage us in that. I pray that we would not be afraid. That you would encourage us to be bold and courageous as Paul encouraged in Timothy. And Father, today I know that also that in this room, the numbers of people that are here, those that are listening by device that there may be those that don't know you, but today for the first time, they hear you calling their name, not because of any good works they've done, but only because of the blood of Jesus. Even this morning, would they cry out to you and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. We thank you for the blood of Christ, for the penalty of sin that has been paid for, for the power of sin that we have the ability to live in through the power of the Holy Spirit. And one day, the, the glorious presence, your glorious presence, so there will be no sin no more. Thank you, Father, for hearing us. May we respond in faithfulness, seeking to put you first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me just say this to you before we watch a, a quick video clip. Man, if that's you today, and today you've made a decision to trust. We just to trust Christ. We just want to know so that we can walk alongside of you. If that's you, let us know. Communicate with us by email. Communicate with us by texting us online. There's a card in the back of the seat. You can fill that out and let us know. We'd love to engage you 
in a conversation about what next steps there are in your relationship with faith. But before we walk out the doors, I want you to watch this, watch this clip, this video clip really, really quickly. Have you ever had a conflict with your spouse and you saw their spirit deflate? I like to ask the question, what is the issue when the issue isn't the issue? What happens when a wife feels unloved? She reacts in ways that feel disrespectful to her husband. What happens when a husband feels disrespectful? He reacts in ways that feel unloving to her. And I called it the crazy cycle. If I'm feeling hurt, I just spit it all out there. My natural reaction is to attack back. Marriage was just hard right from the beginning. Conflict for us was continual. That doesn't mean that every time we got together there was a fight. Sometimes you wouldn't know there's a problem. So we found ourselves constantly arguing. We weren't out to understand the other one's perspective. We were just out to be heard. I was coming to a point of being very tired of constant fights. And I used the word divorce. It kind of shook me up to say, you know what, for me to use that word means something is terribly long between me and her. Do you get on that crazy cycle? It's the lack of love, it's the lack of respect, it's that sense of hostility, it's a sense of contempt that keeps you spinning and causes the relationship eventually to fail. This series is gonna answer the question, what is that issue when the issue isn't the issue? We'd love for you to join us. For those of you who would like to, beginning next Sunday night, you can sign up online. You can text the word marriage to the text line to sign up, but we would love to, to have you. I know that we have a, a, a gap, a number gap, and we've already had some signing up, but if you can, we'd love for you to join us in that time. I have lots of stories. Meredith and I have lots of stories to share along with Tom and Sandy, but what would it be like if our marriages were what God designed them to be, a true reflection of God's love for the church, Jesus' love for the church. Um, I want to pray over you as we leave. Father, would you bless us as we prepare to go? I ask that as we walk out these doors, we would remember the words again of Paul, not to be ashamed. Father, I pray that we would make the most of every opportunity to make your word, your word known. Father, that we would live out a legacy of faith. Jesus, that we would make a difference because of our lives, not what we do inside of this building on Sunday morning, but how we choose to live in the power of the Holy Spirit as we walk throughout our week. Bless us now as we go. Would you protect us? Help us to be your ambassadors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.